This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. We are here live in Miami at the GoBundance Global Conference, and I've got a killer guest here, Heather Monahan. She just happens to be local in Miami and graciously agreed to come in and do this podcast live. She is a top 50 keynote speaker now, 2022. This isn't some old accolade of her. She's a current top speaker, best-selling author of two books, Confidence Creator and this one, Overcome Your Villains, which is spectacular. I recommend it to anybody, uh, especially if you have if you're in your job right now, read this. This book. Trust me on that one. Uh, she has the a, a top podcast. She is a mom. She does a she does it all. I'm just excited to have her, Heather. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you. We've been gabbing for 20 minutes before we even got started <laughs> here, so I know we're going to dive in deep. But let's give everyone. Uh, your backstory. Give us kind of the uh, the beginnings of you, if you will, and all the way up through where you are now. Yeah, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester. <laughs> it was not uh, an amazing childhood. I had a really tough childhood and grew up poor, although I didn't talk about that for a really long time yeah. in my life. I carried a lot of shame around that. It really, it's just been the past few years that I've come to grips with it and kind of shining a light on my shame, which is really a made big in the book. It got me teared up in the book. So oh my, yeah, got me teared up for years. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I grew up poor, but the gift growing up poor gave me was I started a paper route when I was really young which is essentially sales. And then I moved to bussing tables and working fast food restaurants, which led to waiting tables and bartending and ultimately a sales career before I even knew it was a sales career. So I had really refined my approach in sales, my expertise in sales by the time I graduated college and hit my first quote unquote real corporate job at the Gala Winery. I was a, a, a wine salesperson. And so my career really took off from there. Wow. Okay. So take us forward to, uh, or we'll come back to childhood and everything, but I want to take us, take you, take us forward to the most recent corporate career you had, how you got into that. I know it was in the, in the media industry and you know, maybe how that ended. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if you don't know this story, it's a good one. So I had basically climbed the proverbial corporate ladder my entire career, starting, you know, as an entry level salesperson, as I mentioned in Gallo and ended up in the media business. Uh, I became an equity partner at a very young age, made my partners millions and millions of dollars, and I was doing really, really well in media. I had made a name for myself. I went to a larger publicly traded company. I pitched myself for a job that didn't exist, mm. which was VP of sales. They did not have one at the time. I was awarded that position, and I was promoted three different times, ultimately becoming the chief revenue officer of the company. I was responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars, thousands of employees, you know, I was named one of the most influential women in radio in 2017. And along the same time, about a year before this all started, really came to an end, I had launched a personal brand. And I did that because on paper, my life was great, right? You're in the C-suite, you're making a ton of money. I'm a mom with a wonderful child. And, you know, I'm doing all this charity work on the side and everything looks great on the outside, but I felt empty mm. inside. And I remember saying, there's got to be more than this, right? Like, I know there's more, but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what to do to find, to find it. And so I thought, 
wait a minute, maybe I should be telling my story that I grew up poor and that I had no idea I could ever be successful because people told me, I remember, you could never make it to the C-suite. You know, you have to be an old white man in a blue <laughs> pantsuit. To, that's sure, how, you know, sure, I'm 47. Yeah. When I was a kid, this is what people said to you. A woman's not going to make it. And then for years I was told, you know, don't wear your hair down and don't, I was always told what I was supposed to be. And I had reached this place in my career where I was calling the shots and I was saying, oh, I will show up in my red dress with my hair down and I will be who I am and lead and get great results. And wait a minute, I should tell people about that. People should not have to wait to make it here to know mm. that they could be here too. You know, you could wear flip-flops and have purple hair and you can lead teams. Don't let people tell you that you have to be put in a box or show up a certain way. So I launched this idea, this personal brand. It was kind of before people were really doing much personal branding. It was right, you know, when it started happening. And the company I work for hated it. And the mm. GC called me and threatened me and told me, if you don't shut it down, you could be fired. And I met with attorneys, right? And I looked at Bank of America employees, big, you know, high-end employees had personal brands. And I started thinking, if Bank of America, which was a much bigger company than mine at the time, can these guys can do it, why can't I do it? You know what? I'm going to dig in. Not because I was so dying about what I was doing. Like, this is my calling. I didn't feel like that at that time. I was more like, no, I'm sick of being told what I can and can't do. I'm not doing anything bad. My initiative, my purpose here is to show up and let others know, hey, it doesn't matter if you grew up poor. It doesn't matter if you're a blonde female. You can make it to the top. And I wanted people to have those insights and the tips and tactics that I leveraged to get ahead. I wanted to share that stuff with others. What was the problem? What was like the crux of it? Like, you, this is not good. Don't stop doing this because what? Because it's not like you were selling uh, something that was in, con uh, yeah, what's the word? A conflict of interest with I your current company. I wasn't selling anything. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't I, something like that. There was no like side that. hustle. Right. There was I wasn't say, promoting my speaking business. I wasn't selling books. <laughs> Even if you were, but yeah. I, but I wasn't. Right. That's what's so crazy, right? I had no intention of leaving my current job. What they would say, air quotes, mm. what they would say to me is, this is a conflict of interest. It's, it's confusing for clients and employees. People feel as though you have other initiatives out there. And if you don't close it down, we're going to have to, you know, end our, our, um, our agreements here as a chief revenue officer. And I would say no, because I'll go ahead and put disclaimers on everything. I will put this is not necessarily representative of the company that I work for. I, whatever you want to make you feel comfortable, I'll do. This is my personal life. These are my stories, my teachings. I'm not doing anything wrong. And I would just, I would not back off. Hmm. And at this time, the woman that ended up firing me, um, you know, plot twist, she was actually the interim CEO at this point in time. Yeah. Her father was the CEO I worked for for 14 years. He's the one that promoted me three times. He had become really ill. And so he had named her interim CEO. That's when she, I launched the brand. She started threatening me. She brought the GC in. They both started threatening me, both women. <laughs> Imagine that, mm. women against women in corporate America. And so this went on for about a year. I started losing my hair. I mean, I was not going to give up, but my body started breaking down. I threw my back out. The stress was so bad, the threats that would come fast and furious. And ultimately, in the end, she was named officially CEO, and she fired me immediately. Wow. What was, uh, besides the brand piece, it feels like she's threatened by you in some way. You think? What, what was the... <laughs> Uh, what was the heart of that? Was it just that her father, you know, she, you seem to be, you know, uh, somebody big in her father's eye. Like, do you have any sense of why she targeted you specifically? I do. Right. So she was the only other female on the executive team. 
right? It's a very male-dominated yeah. business. And while I had seen her transform, most CFOs, you know, I hate to stereotype, but if you think of a CFO, it's sort of that nerdy number cruncher with yeah, the glasses, sure. like behind a calculator, brilliant, smart, you know, typically. And, and that's not everyone, but that's sort of the, the, the standard. That was her, you know, very, very smart, but very introverted. I'm very, very extroverted. You know, I was taking all the big stages in the industry. I was headlining things on behalf of our company. And I remember at some point someone said to me, she thinks you're getting bigger than the company now. And this is a real issue for her. She, unbeknownst to me, started taking speaking lessons, hired um, someone to dress her to get, you know, an executive coach. She put all this money into her, really blossomed, which I think is great. Right. I, I thought that was amazing. She would never say I would ask her, what's happened to you? You look so like things are so different with you. I don't know. Nothing I can think of a point, you know, point a finger at. <laughs> Not this whole team she hired. Right, just <laughs> and, and completely deny anything. And so I think, huh, I wonder what's wrong with me. Why don't I have growth like this? You know, mm-hmm. I would just, I, I didn't understand at the time. Cut to, you know, she really started becoming more of an extrovert. She started having a presence. And I think when she hit that stride, that's when she started seeing me. Instead of as a peer and teammate, she started seeing me as a competitor. And the reality is I should have been CEO of that company, right? I had been running operations for so long. She had been back at the corporate office, you know, in that in that beautiful office, sitting nicely and quiet with everybody crunching numbers. I had been out with the clients, growing the teams. You know, I had been doing the work. If someone was going to be CEO, of course I wanted it to be me. I was a the one that was most qualified. So I think in the end, this is just my opinion, I believe that she saw me more as a threat. You know, when you are a threat, you will always be that person's target. And yeah. and it was very clear I was her target. And um, in the end, it was the best decision she could make. And, and here's what I mean by that. If you're threatened by someone you work with and you don't feel trusting and, and excited to work with someone, get them off your team, right? Sure. And, and so I, I get it why she got rid of me. And it does make sense now. However, it was a really hard pill to swallow when yeah, that went down. 100%. We'll dive in a little bit more. But if you were a man, do you think it would have been the same reaction from her? Are you kidding me well, right I, now? Oh, look, so as a guy, I, I, I was struggling with this question in my head. Like, how do I ask this as a guy without, I don't know. I'm not a woman. I have no, <laughs> But you saw this at Progressive, right? Did. Didn't you ever see these women stabbing each other but, in the back? But what is that? That's what I wanted to ask. Like, because I, 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 my my natural answer to myself to that question is, man, if she's a guy, then this probably isn't a problem. But, it's, it's a non-issue. But why? What, what is that? Just as a woman, can you explain that to a you know, bald dude who doesn't understand that, uh, that, that, that backstabbing, whatever it might be. So there's this weird culture and I don't know if it's just from press and media and TV shows that there's only so much available to women in Mm. corporate America, right? I mean, there's, everything's available as a mother or a stay at home mother, you know, that that's, you know, limitless. But if you want to get to the top of a a major company and, and, you know, be calling the shots, only one seat is available for a female. Everyone else is men. And that certainly was the case where I worked in the industry that I was in. There were so few females at the executive level that and it wasn't unique to this woman. My only mentors back in the media business I was in for over 20 years, all men, never did a woman come to me and say, hey, you know, I see like a mini me with you. Let's let's team up. I'm going to take you under my wing. No, it was always men coming to me saying, hey, if you would get your head on a little bit straighter, you'll go to the next level. Let me show you how. You know, it was always the guys that were ahead of me extending a hand, never a woman. And I just believe that there was and is, it's still the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Women are much more likely to stab another woman in the back in corporate America than they are to hand them a hand and say, let me help you up. However, 
this is the irony of it all. They'll sit in front of the panel at the women's events and say, I love mentoring young women. Of course they do. The ones that aren't threatening to them, the very rookie ones, or give a talk and then, you know, run away and, and get back to stabbing people in the back. But there is this misconception that women are nurturing in business in that way to everyone. It really is not the case. So often, and the majority of the time in my career, women were there to set you up and sabotage you. Is there a fix to that? Is there a, is there a cultural yes, change? What's the of fix? course. My opinion and my belief is to start calling people out, right? Yeah. Because people, and I remember I was part of the problem when she would play her games with me. It was like these passive aggressive, torturous games. Don't respond to emails. Don't invite her to the meeting. You know, so you can't really say to someone, you're bullying me. This is wrong what you're doing. Because then she could say, that was a mistake. I, I don't know. And that was the game that would go on. It was this very passive aggressive game. Not say hello to me when she would walk into a meeting and say, hello to every other man that was sitting there. And I'd have to say, hi, you missed me. Right. So you end up looking like the jerk or you're like looking for attention. And this game just went on for so long. And and um, and I'll tell you, it's just it's really painful for people to watch. And I would kind of put my head down and say, OK, Heather, focus on your job. Just get back to work. And I'd let it go. Well, my solution these days is to call it out. Call out bad behavior, right? If you're sitting with a team of people and one woman's ignoring the only other woman there, say, hey, uh, Jen, didn't you see that Vicky's here? Come on. That was rude. Yeah. You know, start saying, no, that's not, whoa, we don't roll like that. Hey, you're not inviting the only other woman on the executive team to this meeting? Why would you do? You don't have to fight with someone. You just have to call it out and say, wait a minute, why would you do that? That's not cool. And the more people start calling out that bad behavior and, and publicly acknowledging it, the less we're going to see that. Wow. Wow. Okay. I can go 20 different directions, but I want to bring this back to when you were fired. Uh, do I want to? Yeah, we'll go there. I have the other 20 directions swirling in my head, so we'll come to that later. When you were fired, I, if you don't mind, I want you to tell this story because the end of it to me is... I, I, it blows my mind. I don't know. And we're going to pivot to confidence after this. I don't know how you had the confidence to do what you did. It's so good. At the end. But <laughs> tell your story on how you were actually fired. It blows my No way I did what you did. I'm not strong enough. Not as strong as you were in that moment. Okay, but do you know, this is for everyone listening right now. Do you know that moment that you've just been pushed so far, you snap? Mm. It's almost like you go crazy. This was, this was that moment for me. This she had been torturing me secretly for for yeah. years, right? Like the the not inviting the meetings and then ignoring my emails and not signing off on my bone, like not paying me things that I was owed. Just this game, like tr really trying to F with me <laughs> and not and in a sneaky way that in this last moment, her last little attack on me, I just remember thinking, uh, uh, not today. Not today, Satan. This is not going to happen. <laughs> you know, so, and here's the thing. Prior to getting fired, because remember I explained she was interim CEO for yeah. about a year. So I knew there was a chance she was going to get CEO. I knew her father was getting more and more sick, right? So I'm doing the math and I'm thinking there's a good chance she's going to be my boss. Again, I still, I am partly delusional. I still didn't think she'd fire me because I was so good at my job sure. that why would she want to make her life harder? I just didn't understand that. Anyway, cut to... She calls me out to her office. She's named CEO. The email goes out. I'm literally crying in my house thinking, I can't believe this is my life right now. How am I going to pay my bills? What, you know, how am I going to, I have to deal with this lady. And then I get the email. Hey, um, you know, the new CEO wants to meet with you, Heather. Please arrive at the office at blah, blah, blah time tomorrow morning. And so I have a three hour drive over to her office and which I'd been to, you know, numerous times. But I knew this time was different. And on the way over there, I remember thinking, I had been working on my confidence internally. And, and I know you said you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. And, and w I can break it down for you what I was doing. 
But right before, a couple months before I was fired, I remember thinking, I've become a B-rate version of myself. Mm -hmm. Because of this kind of silent torture that's been going on, I kept turning a blind eye to it. And really, in those moments, I would turn a blind eye to her bad behavior. I would start chipping away at my confidence. And I truly did become a B-rate Target version of Heather Monaghan. And I didn't like it, right? Because I... It's not something that happened like real quick and you can say, oh, wait a minute, that was weird. It happened slowly, sure. but suddenly I started noticing nobody was asking me questions in meetings and really paying attention to me anymore in those meetings because I had been silent for so long. They started expecting, this is the new Heather. She just kind of cowers back in her seat. And I was. And so I had started working for two months on my confidence with a very clear intention. I wanted to get back to the girl in the red dress that stood with a giant megawatt smile and spoke what was on her mind. And I wasn't there. So I, I deployed some tactics that work really incredibly well. And I've been doing these things for a couple of months leading up to, didn't know this was going to happen, but thankfully, um, thank you universe, God, you know, whatever the power is that set me up for this, driving over to meet with that woman. I have a playlist that I play that like sets me up for the most powerful mindset ever. It's incredible. And I was getting in my zone before I walked in there because I knew I have no idea what's about to happen. Sure. I walked in I sat down and she was all smiles. I feel like I'm giving my TED talk right now. She was all smiles because I can just see it in my, you know, she's like, she's standing and I mean, she's lit up happy, you know, really, really excited. And I, I'm not, I'm walking in very scared. Yeah. And so I sat right down and she stayed standing the entire time, which is a power move, right? I mean, we all know like there's body, things that people do with their body. She was standing with her hands on her hips. She was smiling. I was, you know, sitting back in a chair, scared like a little dog. And um, she said, well, as you know, I'm the new CEO and um, I don't need a chief revenue officer anymore. So therefore I don't need you. Whoa. And she was just smiling at Those me. Those are her words like that? I mean, gosh, it's four years ago now. <laughs> I mean, that's... I'm probably paraphrasing, but I think it was, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of words. You pretty know what I mean? Close. It was pretty like, oh, it, this God. whole thing went down in a Give couple a minutes. Chill. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was not like we had this long conversation. It was just a, she made her point. And then after she said that, she basically said, I don't need this position any longer. Therefore, I don't have a need for you. That was pretty much all she said. Wow. And she was smiling. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I just, oh, I was trying to breathe. And then she said, you need to take a look at these. And she slid two memos in front of me. And I'd worked there for, you know, 14 years. So I knew the drill. When you let somebody go, you know, especially at this level in a company, you want them to sign a non-disparaging um, agreement to ensure to protect all, you know, C-suite executives, protect the company, protect the image, and make sure that no secrets are released to media or competitors or anything. And the way that you leverage someone to sign that is you hold a big check behind it and say, if you sign this paper, you get this check. You don't sign this paper, you get nothing. Mm -hmm. After 14 years, right? And so I um, I knew the game. I've been in those meetings. I knew 99% of people sign. I don't I don't even remember if anyone did, ever did it, right? I mean, right. this is pretty standard. You want that check. I wanted the check too, sure, P.S., sure. right? I'm not independently wealthy, right? <laughs> I'm floating around with millions of dollars. I was definitely someone who, you know, after growing up poor, I loved the idea of, feeling financially sound, right? And so this idea that everything was going to disappear was super scary. But this lady had pushed me so far. You know, she had really been at me for grinding at me for so long. I was so sick of it. And the kicker was her smile because she wasn't like a big, vibrant, mm. smiley person. She was more like, she enjoyed it. Ugh. Yeah, she yeah. was more the resting bitch face, right? right? right, right. So <laughs> watching her like this, you know, lit up, it was so painful. So she pushes the two memos to me. I see the first one and it says, Heather Monahan's been fired. 
period. Which, of course, that's, it's like a, someone punches you in the gut. I had done such a great job there. I built such a huge community, you know, in our sales team and delivered so much revenue. And I just it was basically saying, you're not worth anything, you know, like you're trash. And I, and I felt that when I read it. And the next one that she pushes to me was Heather Monahan, amazing employee, just name one of the most influential women in radio, 14 years of excellence. We are cheering her on. She is on to a next adventure. Join us in celebrating Heather. You know, it's this love letter of BS, which is trying to create a facade that I, that I left the company, you know, and I'm doing greater things and they're so proud of me. Well, that's not true, right? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to leave. I wanted my paycheck and I wanted to stay with what I had built, which is funny now because four years later, I'm so glad I was fired. Sure. But in that moment, you know when it's all you know yeah. and you think, but but this is what I'm good at. W wait a minute. What if I'm not good at anything? Those are all the crazy ideas going through my head because I was scared. And so I'm looking at the two memos and I probably, it, it seemed like it was a while. Maybe it was 60 seconds and I look back at her and she's smiling and... You know, you have, to, you have to sign one. Which one are you going to sign? And I'm looking at her, I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm signing that. Mm. I want that money. Yeah, I want that money. That I am done with this lady. And she just kept smiling at me, and that was, you know, that was it. And so I took a deep breath. I pushed both of those memos back at her. And I, I mean, I didn't do a smile like this, but I definitely, I smiled, and I said... <laughs> I didn't write either one of these memos. I'm not signing either one of them. If you have nothing else to say to me, I'm out of here. Yeah. And I stood up at the same time. And when I tell you I took every ounce of power out of that room, you know, I just did a post about this today. Don't react, yeah. respond. When you react, you allow someone to control you, puppeteer you. Like when you respond, you take all the power back. And that is, and I will never forget that moment to see her face go from this giant Cheshire cat grin to literally in shock because she knew what that meant. And for everyone who doesn't know what that means, I just said I'm not going to sign the non-disparaging agreement, which means I can go forward and tell anything about that company that I want to. I can share any experience that I had at that company that I want to, and no one can do anything about it. Unbelievable. I would have been in the 99% or 100%, whatever it was, like, yes, check, please. You're a single mom at this point, too, right? It's not like you have two incomes coming in. No. You have a young son at that point. Uh, what, under 10, I would, I would he assume? He was nine. Nine, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> young son, and you just said, no, I'm going to walk away. What were the things you were doing? You mentioned, like, tactics around confidence. That decision, I, you know, whatever you believe in, God, the universe, I, to me, it's like, somehow, some way, you made that decision, uh, and, and you know, you didn't know, but this was coming, right? This this event was coming. I had no coming. idea this right. was coming. Right, but you've made that decision. It was like the time you needed to, to build the confidence, to do what you did, to have the life you have now. I believe in that. I truly do. Mm. But what are some of the tactics? I'm interested in that. Like you said, I started to do some things. You mentioned a, a playlist. What are some things you do to build confidence? Because that's a big thing, especially anybody listening that's maybe in a W-2 and you said exactly what my life was. Something was empty, uh, uh, unfulfilling. It was an emptiness that I felt as soon as I took this executive job. Like, I don't want to be here. This isn't, this is some destination I wanted to have, but I, it's, it's not doing anything for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. But what are the things you did to build confidence? If you don't mind sharing. 
Yeah, the first thing that I did was I created a 30-day plan. Because when you're in low moments, you don't want to start thinking five years from now, right? <laughs> you want it to be something attainable. Like, okay, I liken it to weight loss. I wanted to lose 10 pounds before. I write down the number I want to lose. I will lose 10 pounds by such and such date, get a specific goal. I did the same thing with confidence. I want to get my confidence to a 10.0 by the end of 30 days. I mapped out 30 squares the same way you would on a diet. Mm. What are you going to eat every day so that you lose weight? How much are you going to exercise every day so you lose when are you going to weigh yourself? I'll weigh myself daily. So I took that same rationale. I got a picture the same way I would get a picture of myself in a bikini and put it on the fridge. So I remind myself, kid, you want to get in the bikini? Don't eat so much today, right? Same thing with confidence. I have this life-size cutout of me in a red dress with this sick smile. And I, in that moment, I was super confident because as a sales tactic, sometimes I send out life-size cutouts myself know, to people. I know, This is crazy. To get on their radar. <laughs> And so for me, that picture, it, it reminds me of that, like, you're ballsy AF. Like, don't let anyone screw with you. And this is who I am. And so I would look at that image. And for me, I'm a very visual person. So that image had a lot of power. It spoke to me. Like, you know what confidence looks like. You've been there. You can go there again, kid. Like, you can build this. You've got this. And so I would write down every day, first thing, what are you grateful for, Heather? Three things I was grateful for. I'd write them down, shifting my mindset from lack and, you know, oh, I hate going to work right now miserable. She hates me. Instead, I'd be, be like, I'm grateful that I'm on this confidence journey. I'm grateful that I'm standing up for myself for the first time in a long time. I'd write all these things. So I'd start feeling proud of me. Yeah. Right. I would write down affirmations of who I wanted to be. At the time, I wasn't powerful. At the time, I wasn't feeling very creative. I wasn't feeling like a badass. So I'd start writing these things down and I would make myself read them. Right. Heather, you are powerful. You are creative. You are capable. You are enough. I would write all these things down and read them the same way I would talk to my kid, right? Like I would, I would always be pumping him up and reminding him, hey, don't forget what you did yesterday. Don't forget about that amazing turnaround you had on the yeah. court, right? The same way that I try to lead my child, I was applying that same methodology back to myself. I started writing down other times I had faced adversity in my life. 0809, leading my company through crisis and a layoff, a third of our company and how we were able to bounce back. I led that initiative. You know, so I started reminding, Heather, you have gone through so much work. This is nothing. You can totally take this on. And then I started stepping into fear every single day. That was my biggest holdback. You know, like many of us, we learn as kids, if you feel scared, run home get under the bed and hide. Mm. And I was still doing that in my 40s, right? Yeah. So I decided to say, no, I choose to see fear as a green light that means go and go faster. And anytime I feel fear, I am stepping into it and going even faster than I have before. And as I did that, I started just climbing this confidence ladder. Every time I would feel the fear and step into it, I was still alive. I made it. The fear wasn't real. And the more I trained myself to, you know, step in, I built momentum. And then I started going for bigger things. And then as I was going into these meetings at work and she'd ignore me, I'd say, hey, hi. I, I slowly started building back the confidence. And then every once in a while, I'd take a big jump, like saying, hey, you didn't mention my name. And then when I walked out, I was so proud. I was like, oh, this is who the red dress girl is back. And yeah. the more I could envision who I was becoming, the more I started owning it, the more I started stepping into it. You know, everything started coming together and it just 
the biggest part is being intentional and seeing that it's possible for you. You know, I, what I love about that, we had Ryan Serhant on, who I know has been on your podcast yes. yesterday. He sat right where you are. And um, he, he, you know, when I think of peak performers like yourself in your industry, like he is in his industry, what you just said is exactly the same, right? It's you have a, a plan, you map it out, you execute daily, and you visualize uh, what you're doing on a daily. You revisit it. I think yes. you mentioned that. You revisit it every day. The other thing you said that I've, I've talked a lot about for me, uh, making the leap, and we talked, I quit my job almost got fired years before, but quit my job. You ended up being fired. But uh, I always talk to people about when they're thinking about, oh, I want to quit my job and I'm afraid of going to zero or being homeless or whatever. Go back to evidence instead of emotion. Yes. And that's what you did, right? You went back and said, wait a minute, I did this in my career. I'm capable of this. I'm capable of that. To take that past best version of you and instill the confidence in you today. That's what it sounds like to me, at least. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Now you're fired though. <laughs> Right. So let's go right to that point. Good so you're nice. fired. You go home. I can imagine what that day was Ugh. like. But now what? What do you do? I didn't know. The one thing I left out was I had an 18 month non-compete, non-solicit, which meant I could not go back to the industry I had expertise in. I could not go back to the industry that my network existed in. And I could not hire any employees from my existing team. You signed that when you took the job. When I, In order to accept the CRO yeah. Yeah. job, I had to sign that, which yeah. is pretty standard. standard. Yeah. And so you forego, but I never thought I was going to get fired. So why wouldn't I? I didn't want to compete against them. Well, of course, when it's all you know, I'd done it for 20-something years. I wanted to go across the street and compete, but I couldn't. Mm. So I, I came to this realization that I have to figure out a way for 18 months at least, right? Because then I could go back to the industry. That's how I originally was thinking. Figure out a bridge plan, Heather, for 18 months. Then you can go back and, and crush them and work for a competitor and do what you know. And so what can you do for 18 months to drive revenue, pay your bills? You know, I, I was just kind of thinking, just get by. Like, sure. how, how do I? Because I was at rock bottom at this point. I, yeah. Being fired was just horrifying to me and unexpected and so and scary. And so I remember the first thing that I did was I put a post up on social media and I said, I've just been fired. If I've ever done anything for you, I need to hear from you now. Mm. And so many people called me and said, take that post down. It looks so pathetic. And I remember thinking, but I don't feel pathetic. Yeah. I didn't steal from the company. I didn't kill somebody. A lady didn't like me. She became CEO and she fired me. That's her prerogative. I still feel good about who I am. And thank goodness I kept that post up. It went viral. It landed me on the Elvis Duran show. Mm -hmm. And halfway through that interview, Elvis looked at me and said, well, obviously you're writing a book. <laughs> but you had not yet. Oh, I, I had never. I grew <laughs> how, long, up how long was that before you were on that show? A month. So you had been building, this is interesting, I didn't know that. You have been building the brand uh, a year or so prior to your unanticipated exit from a the year. company, right? Mm -hmm. So you had enough, were you on podcasts in that time? Were you Were you getting- Little, just little, like okay. nothing nothing big at that so point. So that post lands you on a major podcast, now on a large podcast. And this, he says, you're going to write a book and this is the first time that triggered for you. Maybe I should. Well, what was funny, and I don't know if you had this experience, growing up, I was the social one. Yeah, same. My sister was the smart one. I didn't have that, but yeah. <laughs> okay, well, in my life, I had let that story and label stick with me. Didn't I didn't realize it. Yeah. But when I left, Elvis is so far ahead of me success-wise and whatnot that he spoke this conviction and truth into me. I thought, if that guy believes in me this hard, like, I got to believe in me. And I Googled, how do you write a book? Just to, like, let's take a look at what writing a book looks like. And I started looking at all these people who written books, and I thought, well, they don't look like the smart one. Because I kept thinking, well, Heather, you're not the smart right, one. Right, you're not right. the an author. Yeah. You probably need a literary degree. I was thinking this at first. But I did my homework, and I saw, no, lots of non-smart ones you know, wrote books. Okay, I had to be willing to drop that label and stop telling myself that story, reaffirming 
what people told me when I was a kid. And so I decided to say, anyone can write a book. And you know what? Forget that. Drop the labels and, and drop the lanes, blow up the lanes and start living your life lanelessly. Yeah, I was great in sales, but that doesn't mean I can't be great as an author too. And mm-hmm. first I had to start telling myself that that was a possibility, that that was a truth for me. And then I had to just start stepping into it. Take mess- messy action. Done will be better than perfect. And just write. And that's what I did. I had no idea what I was writing about. First, I wrote how much I hated the lady that fired me, of course. (laughs) But over like a week's time, it morphed into, oh, this reminds me of when I got divorced. This reminds me of all these different stories in my life of how I had bounced back and created confidence within myself, even though I was at really low moments in my life. Yeah. So Confidence Creator is born. Um, That book comes out. You self-published it. It's a bestseller. Uh, It's incredible. You've been on Steve Harvey. You've been on Gary Vee. This is a new world you're jumping into. Crazy. How does speaking come in? When does that come in? (gasps) like anything, I Google, how do you sell books? Because I don't know. I'm <laughs> sure. a rookie author. I, yeah. I have zero idea of no one leading me, right? So I Google, how do you sell books? And it said, speak. And I thought, oh, great. I've been speaking for 20 years in corporate America, which I'm Same. sure you experienced. This. Tons. Our yeah. job was we, we had to go out and get on stages on behalf of the company to represent the company. You didn't get paid for it, right? But it's part of what you do. And so I had developed a skill set that I was very confident in speaking. And I thought, great. I'll start cold calling companies and say, hey, uh, Horizon Media, if you buy 500 books, I'll come in and speak for free. Great. Um, This company, uh, Royal Caribbean, buy 500 books, I'll come in and speak for free. So that's how I was driving my book sales. And then one day I called a company and they said, sure, what's your speaker fee, Heather? And I said, hold on one minute, please. And I took my phone out and I and I typed in speaker fee. And Gary Vaynerchuk showed up $350,000 for a 60-minute keynote back in 2018. That's a long time ago. And I remember thinking, Monaghan. You're not a math major, but I think you need to drop the book idea and move into the speaking business, right? (laughs) And so that's what I did. I went all in on speaking, and I started pitching myself to every speaker bureau and speaker agency. And then I got hired to interview Sarah Blakely live in 2019 at a sales and marketing conference in front of thousands of people. And then I gave my TED Talk, and my speaking business blew up, and then the pandemic hit. And then COVID hit. And disappeared. (laughs) Um, I'm interested in this. We'll come to that in a moment here. But so so you're... You're a paid speaker now. The book comes out. You're you're selling the book. Did these companies take you up on that? Like, what was your your like? So the Royal Caribbean say, yeah, we're yes. gonna buy your book. Mm-hmm. What were you speaking? Like, what were you selling? Like, confidence creator. Like, go, you go on a cruise or you go to their company. Like, what does that look like? So, first of all, you want to do your homework. This is just sales one one, right? Yeah. Like, any I had something to sell, and I had an objective in my mind. I wanted for this example, Royal Caribbean to bring me in. I knew they had a woman's group, right? So I found out who the head of the woman's group was. I knew she'd probably have a budget somewhere, right? Didn't know if it was allocated yet or not, but I I sent a probably a cold email or found someone that knew her and sent an intro. And then when, once I got on the phone with her, I said, so, you know, so great uh, to be connected with you. I'm really in awe of the initiative that I've been seeing. I, I was researching what you guys have been doing and I'd researched all the events they had done. So I knew what they were looking for based upon the research I had done. Hmm. And I said, I, I don't know if this will add value or not, but I'd love to have a quick conversation with you around some of the success I'm having in corporate America currently based upon my past experience as a chief revenue officer, being a woman in the C-suite and really working to advance women in corporate America, in leadership roles, and identifying the root cause of why they aren't advancing, which really is a lack of confidence. Mm. And every time they be like, oh my, that's so true. I know. Isn't it terrible? Why do we doubt ourselves? Why do we be, you know what? I actually wrote a book about it. Um. And then that would lead to, you're kidding me. No, you know what? I'd love to work with you. All I need is an investment in the books and I'll come and I'll speak for your team for free. We'll do live Q&A training, whatever. And that's how I 
started getting that business up and running. Amazing. All right. So we hit COVID. That's a bad time for speakers. Oh, that was the worst. <laughs> the worst. So what do you do? How do you how do you navigate through that? What do you what do you do to support yourself at that point? The funny thing is it's sort of a blessing. The more shots you take, the more you're like not deterred as much. I mean, granted, I was very upset. Sure. But I remember thinking, you've seen this movie before, kid. Think to yourself, what problem can you solve from home? And so I jumped on my Peloton. That's where I'm, when I work out, I'm my, my most creative, right? Mm. So you need to know when you are your most creative. Maybe it's meditating. Maybe it's being with kids. Whatever it is, figure it out. For me, it's working out. I jumped on the Peloton. I started pedaling as hard as I could and asking myself that question, what problem can you solve from home? And it hit me. Go look at your DMs on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, the place of business gets done. I, I receive hundreds of DMs a day. And I started reading them. And every fifth or sixth one was, do you ever do business consulting? Would you ever do executive coaching for my wife? Have you ever done any kind of coaching or do you have any programs? And I thought, okay, done will be better than perfect. And I went and I posted. I mean, everything had just stopped. I had no money coming in. And so I just posted, you've asked, I've answered. You want an executive coaching program. I'm launching my first ever group coaching program, May 1st. Limited spots available. DM me to get in. And so I knew there'd be one barrier to entry because I didn't have experience doing this. And that would be maybe making the financial commitment. So I did a money back guarantee. And I thought, you know what? I always stand by my work. I'll figure out a way to make this work. And the reviews and testimonials were off the charts. Here's where I idolize you. This this part. Not just that story. <laughs> Don't idolize this, me. Well, this part that I'm going to ask you about, because you talk about confidence and whether you're a man or a woman or whatever, and you're, you're conditioned to be this employee and stay under. Mm. I remember my father and mother would always ask like, hey, do they still like you over there? Do they to like you, which made, <laughs> which made me think like, well, that's the, that's the ultimate. Like they have to like me in order right. for me to be valid. Right. Mm. Something you do way better than I do right now. And I, I want to learn this from you. You ask for what you want. That's your thing, right? You always ask for what you want. Always. Talk about that. How, is that, is that part and parcel of the confidence game for you? Is like, game is a bad word, but you know what I mean? Like in, in building confidence that that's sort of like that just kind of became, I guess this is the ultimate of being confident or is it just, well, nobody else is going to. Like, how do you ask for what you want? How do I ask for what I want? A closed <laughs> mouth never gets fed, right? Yeah. I just watched this. Um, there's this amazing special on Netflix right now. It's about Jay-Z, uh, Jay-Z and well, Kanye West, really. And it's about before he became famous and yeah. his come up. And he wanted so bad to be on Jay-Z's album. And he's sitting there in the studio as a producer quietly. And he finally just raised his hand and said, hey, I, I want to spit a verse. And Jay-Z looked at him and said, All right, well, go ahead. And then at the end, he said, a closed mouth never gets fed. Had you not just jumped up and done? So I've just lived my life that way, knowing that, listen, sales is all about the ask. It's not about the nose. It's about getting to the one yes. And I had conditioned myself since nine years old that if I'm not asking, I'm not getting a new house on the paper route. I'm not asking. I'm not going to get the upsell on, you know, the Chardonnay for the client so that I can get a bigger tab so I get a bigger tip. That is what I had always done. So it was no surprise in business when I saw a situation at a company and I said, oh, they need a VP of sales here. Well, they don't have one. That's not a position. That doesn't matter to me. I need to ask for it and tell them why it should be one. Yeah. You know, and so I just kept building the success. So the more that I would like anything, you know, your brain starts wiring a certain way. The more you tell yourself you can't do or it's something you're not good at. Those wires aren't connecting together. You're thinking, ooh, that's not for me. You've got to start training yourself, no matter how scary it is, no matter how hard, to do stupid things that you're going to ask for. So you condition yourself, this is who I am. I just ask for what I want wherever I am. And I make it a game. I'll never forget, we were in L.A. And I do this for my son, too, to teach him. Yeah, I want him it's to, a great skill. I yeah. always want him to ask. I'll never forget, this is so. This is a good story. I, for, I wonder if this is my first book. 
We were in L.A. One of my best friends was with me watching my son. I was still in the media business at this point in time, so I had to work during the day. We stayed in this one hotel that Justin Bieber would stay in a lot. My son was idolized the Biebs back then. (laughs) I got home from work one night there in the hotel room. It's like 6 o'clock at night, and there's a million kids outside Biebers downstairs. And so I get upstairs. I'm like, go run downstairs and see if you can see him. He comes back. Oh, I missed him, whatever. I said, all right, well, we can't even get out of here. We're going to have to walk to a restaurant. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to talk my way into a restaurant around here. And so I said, let's go, you two. We walk out. We walk across the street. I think it was Mastro's maybe. And I walk in. I said, let me talk, and don't anyone say anything. And so I walk in. I said, hi, how are you? I said, listen, I've got a major crisis. I have a reservation, you know, at blah, 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 across the city. There's no way I can get over there right now. I come in all the time. I'm always in this area. I will become your number one best customer ever if there's just any way you can give me a table for three people. I promise you we will eat. I will leave a huge tip. I'll be your favorite person, and I'll be right out of here, and I'll give you a great review online. And he's like, <laughs> you're funny. He said, why can't you? Why, what's all the problem? I'm like, oh, the Biebs is here and whatever. And he goes, hmm. Okay, I said, my son's, you know, huge Biebs fan. He says, okay. He said, one second. He walks away, comes back. Literally, you can't get into this restaurant, right? right? It's like sold out. And so he leans over me and says, if I do you a solid, you better remember me. And I said, okay, I'll remember you. And he said, I'm sitting you next to Justin Bieber. And he, there, I mean, it was crazy what this guy did for us, but it was just because you asked. I asked and I explained a little backstory as to why it was important to me. Like I became a relatable human being and I just asked. He could have very easily said no and that would have been okay. I wouldn't have been mad at the guy. I'd go do the same thing at the restaurant next door, right? And instead, he decided to be really kind and sit my son right next to Justin Bieber, which my son sat like this the entire time and didn't eat one piece of food. Did he acknowledge him at all? Well, he had said to us, I'm trusting that you will not bother him at all while he's eating. So I said to my son, you make one word to this man, we are out of this restaurant. He just sat quiet. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't eat and he just stared at him the whole time. Yeah, Bieber didn't turn around like, hey kid. No, but the minute, it was so funny, the minute Biebs had finished, we had said to him, as long as he's sitting at the table, you cannot go up to him. The minute he finished, he stood up and started walking away. My son skyrocketed off and chased him down and said, can I please have a selfie with you? And he said, I'm not doing selfies because there's a lot of paparazzi, but how about I give you a hug? And he oh, gave him a hug, which is so cute. Look at the Biebs. What a nice guy. I didn't know that. Yeah. I love that. I love like to your point, somebody has to sit at that table. Somebody had to sit there. Why not a, a super fan? Why not you, right? Why not you? <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. We go w- way, way deeper. Uh, tell me a little bit more, more about this book, the podcast. Where do you want to direct people? Give me all of that if you, would, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Overcome Your Villains. It's a three-step process to overcome any adversity, business, and life. The yeah, reviews are freaking amazing. Definitely get it. People always ask me, which one should I get first, Confidence Creator or Overcome Your Villains? It's really up to you. If you're dealing with a negative person in your life, definitely get on this book first. If your confidence is down a little bit right now, start with Confidence Creator. But they're interchangeable. You can read whichever one you want first. Always go for the Audible version because I narrate it and I swear they're really, really good. Uh, My podcast is called Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan. It is incredible. And I drop two episodes a week. And my website's heathermonahan.com. I'm at Heather Monahan on all social media. There's some great behind the scenes stuff that you do on Audible with this. I think that's excellent. I Thank love how you. you end each chapter with a little bit more. I mean, you talk about the BAK model. I love that. Starting with one of the three, I'm the A person. So that made me sense too. to me. Go there. Yeah, no, I, I read. I know. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to the A. I get the B and the K. We'll tease it. We won't let them know exactly what that means. But it is sort of a novel inside of a nonfiction book in many ways. Your story Again, part of it is it'll make you tear up. It's incredible what you've come from, where you are. And I'm telling you, you're a huge inspiration, whether you know it or not. To have you in my phone is truly a uh, a blessing for me. I mean that wholeheartedly. So Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in today. Well, 
Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 